Hey, welcome to Urban Planning is Not Boring. I'm Sam. And I'm Nat. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Urban Planning is Not Boring, a podcast hosted by myself, Sam, and Natalie. Unfortunately, Natalie is unable to join us today, so it will just be me, but I am super excited to announce the guests that we have joining us today from a local um, Los Angeles organization, Maria Patino Gutierrez, who is with SAGE, which stands for Strategic Actions for a Just Economy. And we are so excited to have her on to chat a little bit about economic development and tenant rights and some other great topics um, related to community power and economic justice. So Maria, if you'd wanna give us a little um, introduction about yourself, that would be great. Hi everyone, thank you so much for having me here today. So my name is Maria Patino Gutierrez. I'm Director of Policy and Research for SAGE. And I've been at SAGE for about eight years. Um, my background is also in urban planning, um, but I'm really happy to talk today about SAGE and the work that we've been working on around equitable development and tenant rights in South LA and LA-wide specifically. Yeah, thank you so much for that introduction. And you alluded a little bit to um, what SAGE is working towards, but we'd love if you could tell us a little bit more in depth about SAGE and its mission to promote economic justice and equity throughout Los Angeles, um, maybe focusing a little bit on like the mission statement and the vision of the organization as a whole. Yeah, of course. So SAGE um, is driven by a vision of a society where justice and equity are the foundation of community development, where communities are stable, and where workers and tenants have the same rights, stature, and decision-making power as corporations and property owners. We work to achieve this mission by doing organizing, research, and advocating for policy changes through our many campaigns and areas of focus, which include equitable development, tenant rights, healthy housing, and transit. And like I mentioned, while we're based in South LA, we're down the street from USC, uh, we do work all over LA County, and we're also part of various spaces across the state and even nationally. That's amazing. Um, yeah, this I, I think it's such a great opportunity, although Natalie and I are both graduating shortly, but we really are happy to connect with SAGE as it is, as you mentioned, based um, immediately adjacent to USC, and we just hope that this episode can um, be a way that we can alert students to ways that they can be involved and just people in the wider um, South LA and USC area, but particularly the urban planning students, we hope can, you know, take action and, and help you all out. Yeah, that's awesome. And by the way, congratulations on your upcoming graduation. Thank you. And so yes, much. at the end, um, I think I will. We do have ways for people to volunteer or plug in and get involved with SAGE. Yes, amazing. Um, so I think that you have also kind of alluded to this in the mission statement, but if you could speak a little bit to how SAGE works to address issues of affordable housing and displacement in LA. And additionally, I feel like in planning, a lot of the times it's easy to get bogged down by a lot of the struggles that we're facing and some of these big wicked problems but we would love to talk about some of your successes as an organization in terms of advocating for affordable housing and tenant rights and um, um, kind of 
trying to, you know, reduce displacement, particularly in South LA. Of course. And um, let's see, how much time do we have? <laughs> we, have a, uh, we have a lot we to have share. A lo but we have a lot of time. Don't worry about that. <laughs> but basically, um, for the last, well, I didn't actually say, so SAGE was actually created in 1996. Um, so we've already, we're a little bit over 25 years old. Um, however, for the last 15 years, 20 years or so, our main area of focus has been around um um, equitable development, affordable housing, and focusing on displacement, um, and displacement avoidance strategies, for example, tenant rights. And But I also think it's important to set the context of where LA was 15, 20 years ago, which is why we began to focus around this this um, this area of focus. So um, around this time, 15, 20 years ago is when you really began to see a lot of the development around Figueroa Boulevard. And for the listeners that are not familiar with LA, LA Live is on Figueroa, and um, that's where Staples Center is, which is aka Crypto Arena. Um, and it's also down the street from the LA Coliseum, from the LA Football Club, and what's in between those? USC, right? So Figueroa is really um, the main artery, I would say, uh, where you would you saw a lot of development happening around the area. And that was actually one of the main focus um, areas that Sage um, started ar around the time. And we created um, the Figueroa um, Community Corridor for Economic Justice, um, um, which is now actually known as Unidad. We shifted it to the United Neighbors and Defense Against Displacement, but um, it's the same goals in general. And... Um, so, because I think the acronym didn't flow as well as like FIGGICH, but now it's UNIDAT. So that, that flows really well. Um, and at first I would say our approach was around informing community members about major developments, ensuring that they were updated on what was happening. Uh, we would actually do people's planning schools. And even now uh, we still do people's planning schools. Uh, we started people's planning schools around 2007, um, really focusing around what is the planning process? What is zoning? Um, and then from there, we actually transitioned to working as the community organizations with community members, of course, negotiating community, community benefits agreements. Um, and these community benefits agreements with private developers, guaranteed local hiring, affordable housing funds, funding for youth programming, um, work source um, development um, programs as well. And again, it's important to understand that at the time, there didn't really exist any local or state laws that basically required these types of agreements. Nowadays, it's very common for local hiring to be included with, when major developments are happening. Um, but at the time, that didn't exist. Um, in addition, at the time, um, there wasn't a lot of incentives or actually it wasn't even allowed to require affordable housing um, in private development. So we actually were trying to work with private developers so that they could develop some affordable housing. Um, so I think it is important to understand a little bit of that context and history. And in terms of our successes, our campaigns, um, so while we've had... Um, um, many successes, um, and also a lot of it, which you know I can share at the end, uh, is available on our website, uh, sage.net, S-A-J-E.net, or the Unidad website. Um, we were working a lot on site-by-site -site fights, I would say, but the reality is it's not really sustainable. It's kind of like, you know, whack-a-mole. You're focusing on one thing, but then now development's happening over here. So this is when we kind of zoomed out and we said, you know, 
how is it that the policy can be changed so that the zoning can actually benefit community members that live in the area? How can land use, um, you know, play a role in this? So that's when we realized the South and Southeast LA community plans had not been updated in over 25 years. Um, so we really started focusing on how can we use this opportunity where the South and Southeast LA community plans, which is um, LA has 35 community plans and the South and Southeast LA community plans were being updated around the same time. And it's, it includes council district eight, nine, a little bit of one, a little bit of 15, I believe. Um, so we, we started working around updating the community plans to reflect the current community needs and issues um, at the time, because 2000, 17, if they're working on the blueprint from 25 years before, that didn't make sense. So we actually created a proposal, which we called the People's Plan. And the People's Plan really focused on what we like to call are the three P's um, of housing, uh, um, which is basically protecting tenants, preserving housing, and producing housing. So similar to how when we think about reducing, reusing, recycling, um, we really think that these three P's are really important, uh, important um, when we talk about housing production, housing preservation and, and community members, because they really need to be um, they need to be implemented together. Um, so through the people's plan, basically, you know, through our people's planning schools and through our meetings and through our sessions with community members, we created these um, this proposal, and we actually went to you know city council. We went to the planning commission with this proposal, and actually, at the um, you know after many years, we did win some of the the we did get some successes out of this um, this campaign. And again, this was in conjunction with Unidad, which is a, a, another the coalition that we're um, part of. Um, and we did get a lot of wins, and I really think that even now some of the wins that we were trying to negotiate are pretty much standard nowadays. Um, but this was back in 2017, which even now looking at 2017 to now, how stuff has changed. So in terms of what we want for the people's plan or what we want for the updates to the community plans included more support for community serving small businesses, um, local and disadvantaged hiring goals. Um, we even want, um, oil, like oil extraction prohibitions, which is now a city law, city policy. But we were actually one of the first ones that won it at the community plan level. Um, so this is one of the things that we want. We also want some affordable housing um, um, production, um, like uh, incentives around the area, around the community plan implementation overlay um, zones. So again, this was around 2017 when a it, uh, we want that. Um, and, you know, again, it, it's part of also monitoring the implementation. That's something we're continuing. It's ongoing and we're, we've been continuing to monitor. And then um, around the same time, uh, a little bit of overlaps. We're also, SAGE is also part of another coalition or another space. Um, um, we're uh, steering members of the Alliance for Community Transit, Act LA, which in 2016, we um, we launched the ballot measure, the JJJ, if folks recall, um, the um, the Build Better LA um, ballot measure, which basically set the president for what is now the Transit-Oriented Communities Program. And, um, and, it, and so this measure called JJJ 
um, you know, we were out there with the community members uh, collecting signatures. Um, you know, it was a, a huge effort. Um, and then, you know, voters got it on the um, voters passed it. Um, and it amended the LA Municipal Code to create the TLC program, which is a package of new incentives for building affordable housing near public transit. Um, and the, the ballot initiative also requires LA City Planning to create the TLC guidelines for all housing developments within a half a mile radius of major transit stops. Um, so this this is something that was huge at the time, 2007, uh, 2016, and it got implemented a little bit after that. And if you look at like the LA City Planning um, website, um, they attribute a lot of affordable housing production to the TOC program. Um, and so um, so that's a little bit of what some of the successes. However, um, like I mentioned about the three P's, so we're talking about producing, but we also think it's really important to think about the protection of tenants. So um, so some of the things that SAGE um, is working on, with, along with uh, many other community partners around the area, is the LA Renters Right to Council Coalition. We're also part of Keep LA House, um, because as we know, COVID happened in, in 2020, and we were already facing a major housing crisis. Um, so we were we worked really hard to get these temporary protections um, at the time, you know, in 2020. Um, and then now we're working on getting them permanent. Um, we actually have a tenant bill of rights, um, which we're trying to get some of the, the stuff that is on there to pass. And at the same time, we also do workshops and clinics in conjunction with State House LA. Um, which is a county county and citywide effort with many other partners as well. So we're also doing the policy, doing the research, but we're also doing basically like tenant clinics, tenant outreach, tenant information. And even Sage at our office, we actually have a tenant clinic um every Tuesday at our at our office. So um that you know we we talk to people and we we identify we need to um, send them a referral to a legal service provider or we could provide some one-on-one information. Um, but meanwhile, in terms of, so, so your question was around what are the successes, but I also want to talk about like the challenges because, um, meanwhile, we're still seeing evictions happening. There's some state laws that make it very difficult to work at the local level, like the Ellis Act, which the Ellis Act, um, allows, um, property owners to remove housing from the rental market, um, there's the um, Costa Hawkins, which limits rent control. So that's something that that we still have see some challenges, and and we're still seeing private developers catering to a certain population, especially around you know the the area around USC, um, catering to students. Um, and in fact, like actually, um, um, in 1999, members of of Unidad Package at the time. We did a study around 36 place and we continued the study in 2009. And then in 2023, um, some USC students um, actually helped us conduct um, door knocking strategies around 36 place. And we basically found that the whole block is basically student serving housing. And you see it if you're past, if you walk by be between Vermont and Catalina on 36 place, um, the area is it's basically, it says on there, you know, rental for student. And again, this is not a thing. This is not something that we think that is a student's response. It's it's students. It's mostly also the universities, right? Being able to provide adequate and affordable student housing. So there are some gaps and some challenges in terms of that. Um, that's why we think it's important for us to do the, the information for folks to know about 
um, their rights, even if like, for example, if there's a new development coming through the pipeline, if they have the right to return um, um, or if they are entitled to relocation. So we think all of those are important in terms of preserving, um, protecting and producing housing. And one last thing on, on a, on a, and a success that we just had again in, in coalition is around Measure ULA, which is a, a, a huge ballot measure that just passed as well um, this past um, November um, 2022. And it's basically, uh, folks um, might know it as the mansion tax, which is basically when a property over $5 million gets sold, um, there's a one-time tax um, um, that the city collects. And we have some strategies that we hope that we hope in that um of how the ballot is going to be used. Um, it includes um, innovative solutions to create housing faster and also provide um, housing for people living on the streets, emergency assistance, um, and legal aid to renters. So overall, in summary, those are some of the successes and also some challenges that SAGE has been working on. Thank you so much for, for walking through that. I think first, the providing that context of keeping in mind the you know, what was kind of legalized or not like, I guess, not law when uh, SAGE was first starting versus now it's really interesting to think about how that did change the work that SAGE is doing and how SAGE has had such a big impact on really pushing for more equitable policy and laws um, throughout kind of the history of the organization. So thank you so much for, for going through that. And I also think that it's really important obviously like to celebrate this, the um, successes, as I mentioned, but uh, really good to keep in mind, you know, particularly as a student and as someone who attends USC, that it is, you know, the, the university's responsibility to be providing adequate housing for students and not, you know, encroaching as much and displacing people that are in the local community. And I think that this is something that we had talked about in one of our planning classes of, you know, this kind of gentrification that happened due to USC and the irony of studying urban planning at a school that is, you know, in this, in South LA. And so I, I do uh, want to thank you for bringing that up as well, because I think it is something that's really important that we keep in mind. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that that was a really great kind of rundown of a lot of the policies and practices that Sage is pushing for and advocating for. And as a renter myself, I, I also don't, I feel like I definitely don't know all my rights as a tenant. So I think that it's super, super important work that you're doing in educating people um to their rights and pointing them in the direction of you know legal counsel or if a new development is coming so um kudos to you all for doing that amazing work yeah of course um, and i did i definitely think it's important i would say even especially for students right to understand their rights or to again we will make a referral to an attorney if needed but um i do understand like i mean the housing crisis is real and also for students, it's real. Um, and then the availability of housing. You know, we do have a couple of interns or students that we work with, not only at USC, but at other universities. And I honestly don't know how you all are doing it. But again, I do think it's the 
and we're not just talking about USC, I'm talking about in general, like universities right. to be able to provide affordable like housing, like you mentioned. And definitely, I do think um, it's important for them, for students to know their rights. Totally. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, you, SAGE is, is what I would, what a lot of people would call a community-based organization. And oftentimes there's this kind of tension between community-based organizations and like more traditional like planning firms or planning entities within cities. And so I'm curious if you could talk a little bit more about the role that community-based organizations such as SAGE can play in shaping urban policy and planning. Obviously, like in that rundown, you did give some really great examples of how SAGE has already had a really big um, hand in and advocating for some of these policies, but I think even more so, uh, how can planners and policymakers better engage with and support organizations that are, you know, community-based and and hyper-local, such as Sage. So I think I can answer this question in two parts, which is the first is what role to um, do community-based organizations like Sage play, and then. Mm -hmm maybe I can have some recommendations on how policymakers can better engage with us. But yeah. in terms of the role that we play, um, so definitely we, we never say like we're the voice of the community, right? Like we're right. still, you know, we're, you know, we're traditional nonprofit in a sense, right? Um, but we do have the opportunity where we connect with people and our goal in general, Sage, we are at the core of what we do. We are, we do have, we do organizing. So we, that's our base, right? Um, we have a, um, even though we have our own general board, like as SAGE, we also have a steering committee that is made up of, of our community members, um, you know, where we discuss like major campaigns and, and we, in the campaigns that we work on, we have members that are part of the campaigns um, and we develop curriculum for them. So we do that. So in terms of the role, um, we do have the responsibility ourselves to, um, to work um, with the community members, um, to involve them in their planning of their neighborhood. Um, unfortunately, historically, community members' needs have not been taken into consideration in the planning of their city and their neighborhood. And we've also taken the role of developing more pop ed curriculum and not just having a one-time meeting, right? So for example, we've explored or we've done popular education, we've done theater, um, we've, you know, we've done, um, yeah, just different types of theater. Um, our founding um, or um, um, executive director, Gilda Haas, um, she also created a board game. And I mean, from there, we've also created different board games nowadays with uh, virtual meetings. We do jam boards. So other types of activities to demonstrate planning. And I think that we also like to have um, make make education, make learning fun. Um, so that's something that um, that we are able to do. Um, in terms of like just making sure that folks are aware of what's happening um and then so that's that's one thing that we that that is different in terms of the, the role that we do in terms of how to better support um how policymakers can support organizations i would say that um it's great when we are reached out to inform community members but we don't want to just do the turnout <laughs> you know that's not how it works um community members need to be there at the beginning and really um um, their priorities have to be taken into account. Um, I will say that the city of LA or, you know, different different um, entities um, locally have done better uh, of taking it into consideration. 
Um, but historically, I feel like they're still constrained on what kind of activities they can do. And then also in terms of how planners and policymakers better engage with and support these organizations, um, actually wanted to, this is, I think, a good opportunity to talk about uh, a case that we are, a campaign or a case that we have right now, which is around the Bethune Library site on Vermont. Um, and this is a, a site where SAGE and our community organizations also through Unidad have been advocating for a public land for public good. Um, and basically this was a, a public library, um, uh, the Bethune Library, um, that for whatever reason at the time, the council member decided that the library um, no longer needed to be there. And maybe this also talks about how they were planning for uh, a library, maybe little kids go and maybe they were saying, oh, in the future, no families are gonna live there. You know, I don't know. There are still families that live in, in the neighborhood, right? Um, community members still live there. Um, so even so, this was a public land, a public site. Um, there were many attempts for affordable housing to be developed at the site, but bureaucracy got in the way. Um, and, and then the site went through a request for proposals. And, um, and lastly, a, a hotel was selected. So on one end, the hotel was selected, but actually um, through... A, a different entity at the city selected the hotel, but then when it was actually going to go through the entitlement process, you know, the planner, the zoning administrator denied the permit for the hotel. So that's interesting because, you know, the city, I guess maybe themselves just not talking to each other in a way. Um, and then um, it went through the through this planning processes. It went through the South LA Planning Commission. The Planning Commission also denied the permit for the hotel. And unfortunately, a couple of weeks after the council member um, filed the veto um, saying, actually, there should be a hotel here. So I feel like um, this is where um, it, it, it makes it seem like, OK, we're moving closer to equitable planning, equitable development. But there are still some um, other forces or some other interest. Right. Um, and I will say that Sage did file a sequel lawsuit on this um, and we're just. Um, waiting on that. And we really do believe um, public land should be for public good. And basically, um, the mayor has a new directive, which um, says that all public land should be for housing, especially in the crisis that we're in right now. Um, so I would say that this is where, um, where, you know, again, like, we have so many victories and so many ways, so many attempts to um, make housing or make the city more equitable. But these type of decisions are what makes community members feel that the new developments that are coming into their neighborhood are not for them. Like, for example, why a hotel in the neighborhood? Again, remembering what's going to happen in 2028, the Olympics. So, and, you know, the World Cup and all that stuff that's happening, that's coming through um, in the next couple of years. So, again, like, um, I think that that's how policymakers and planners can uh, support is really just listening to what community members are saying and really thinking about what's going to benefit the community. Absolutely. Yeah, I think the Olympics and the World Cup and all these events coming to LA definitely puts um, puts a lot of strain on a, an already very, you know, busy and crowded city. And I think that there's needs to be some rectifying kind of the priorities of, you know, providing affordable housing while also, you know, providing transit, because obviously when there's people that are coming into LA, they're going to need ways to get around and there does, you know, need to be accommodations, but how do you kind of balance that? So 
I think that, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky, but we, uh, you know, I think that the work that you're doing is really, really great and kind of trying to bridge the gap between planners and the community and provide um, like a really great outlet for people to not only learn about the planning process, but also how to be engaged and what opportunities there are to influence planning decisions, you know, even unfortunately, if it ends in a veto, as you had mentioned, but I think it's important that that people are aware of how they can, um, how they can make their voice heard. Um, yes, of course. Yeah. And I, I think it would be really great to pivot just a little bit. Um, and if you could tell us a little bit about some of um, the campaigns that you have been a uh, involved with around environmental justice. Um, obviously, you know, Sage is focused on economic and justice and equity, but if there is anything um, that, you know, you can talk to about environmental justice, because I, I do think that, you know, housing and, you know, shade and all these other issues that pop up in um, historically low income or his, uh, communities of color being, you know, less shady and then there's the urban heat island impact that is kind of disproportionately impacting those communities. So if you could talk a little bit about if there are some uh, movement in SAGE towards advocating for environmental justice. Definitely. Um, and there's a couple of things that come to mind. Um, so one of the big things that um, is happening in LA is that LA is um, looking to decarbonize housing in the immediate future, starting with new developments and in the future with um, older developments with, with existing housing stock. Um, mm -hmm. So that's something that's that the city is already focusing on. And I think just overall, everyone in the state is talking about it. Yeah. Um, so while the city is doing that, we're also trying to figure out how that's going to impact tenants um, and how we can do this in an equitable way. So one of my colleagues who maybe in the future maybe can come and talk to you all, um, she actually wrote a really great report around this. Um, so that's one thing that comes to mind. And then we also believe that community members need to live in healthy housing and i feel like healthy housing and the environment they they go tight like hand in hand yeah. um and healthy housing is inside their home whether they have mold bed bugs you know making sure that they have a habitable home and also what's outside their home example freeways um you know all the pollution the freight trucks um passing by um two, two other things to mention is um sage uh we are um grantees um, with a big state grant that is coming to the area called the South LA Ecolab, which is a transformative climate community grant, which is going to be doing climate investment in the Flossen Corridor. And so that's something that's happening in the next couple, well, it's going to be a five, it's a five-year effort and it's we're really excited about this. But Sage, what we're doing is also the displacement avoidance strategies and, the, um, and supporting with the community engagement around that. So that's also something that um, in terms of the what the grant is going to do, you know, there's going to be more um, electric um, vehicle charging stations, um, bus passes for people, um, many other initiatives. And which brings me to the next um, to the next point is that a lot of our community members, a lot of the folks that we work with um, are transit riders. And, you know, by default, that makes them environmentally conscious, right? Because yeah. they don't have a car and they rely on public transportation, you know? So that's something that they already do. Um, so that's why it's for us working on public transportation um, and um, is really important. And actually today, well, today's May 10th, but um, 
Today, Sage released a, a new report on Fairless Transit. Um, we do have a Fairless Transit campaign, um, and it's available on our website. And maybe by the time this episode comes up, um, it'll be yeah, it'll, it'll, it's, it's already on our website, but um, can link it as well. And again, if you all want to in the future bring my colleagues in to talk about that, that would be great because um, they can expand more on that. So we definitely think that um, these are some efforts that we're doing, and um, I'm happy to talk about it a little bit after as well. Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, as someone who works in transportation, I think that, you know, that the question of fareless transit and how, you know, that has impacts on the quality of service or the quality of vehicles um, versus, you know, like these equity impacts that it could have for someone who is transit reliant. Like, I do think that that's a really great thing. So I, I will definitely be taking a look at that report. Thank you so much for sharing and yeah, I think these issues definitely go hand in hand of, you know, I, I think everything is intersectional, particularly in planning, but healthy housing and environmental justice are intrinsically linked. So I, I think that, you know, that's kind of one, why I wanted to ask that question of, you know, if there's kind of explicit um, programs, which sounds like there is. So thank you so much for, for talking a little bit about that. And we will definitely have to get your colleague on. Yes. To talk about their work. Yes. And also one last thing in terms of that, we also do um do like um presentations around how to like save water and how to like, you know, turn off your lights when you leave your house and disconnect yeah. your appliances. Like so we do do um that type of um of uh, education and outreach. Mm-hmm. Um and also in the sense where you know, by also saving energy, you're also saving on your bill. So, you know, we do relate those two topics. Just wanted totally. to put like that as well. Yeah. That's that's really great. And I think a lot of people don't think about the fact that, you know, being environmentally, you know, conscious, I guess, um, can lead to cost savings in terms of utilities and, you know, water bills. So I, I think that that's really great to make that connection. Um, and just to wrap things up, thank you so much again for um, all of the topics that you've talked through today, but we would love if you could give a little bit of advice to people who are interested in getting involved with community organizing and advocacy work around issues of economic and social justice, and specifically um, how people can support the work of SAGE. Yes, we have many ways. Um, So (laughs) in terms of uh, folks want to be part of our campaigns, um, depending on what's the topic you're interested in, we can plug you in with one of our organizers, identify which campaign you want to get involved with. If you want to volunteer, we also have long-term opportunities um, and we also have long uh, internships. So we we do work with, you know, USC, UCLA, universities. Uh, We have students do capstone projects with us um, through the School of Public Affairs. Um, And so there's many opportunities. Um, And and also, if you as yourself, you know, as a community member, you want to learn how to email your council member, how to attend a neighborhood council meeting, how to do any of that, you know, that's definitely something that we do work on. Um, How to set up who is your council member, like what area, right? So those are stuff that definitely, um, if if folks want to contact us, um, you know, info at sage.net, S-A-J-E.net, um, or if you follow us on social media. And we do have a, like a volunteer application link like that. And if it's more through like a partnership, like an official partnership, you know, there's some paperwork to fill out. But there's many opportunities. And again, like whether it's like signing a petition, which takes like 
you know, one second or five, mm -hmm. you know, one, or, or if you want to volunteer long-term get plugged in, there's many opportunities. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing everything today. This was really, really great. And I, um, I hope that for folks who are, unfortunately, I am not staying in the LA area after grad, but for those who are in LA, um, we'll be sure to link everything, your website, the email, um, any information about volunteering in the episode description to make it easily accessible for anyone who is listening to learn more about SAGE, uh, volunteer, get involved. Um, but yeah, we just want to thank you so much for sitting down with us and, and sharing the space and taking the time out of your day to, to um, enlighten us. Yeah, it's been great. Um, and definitely follow us on, you know, we have Facebook, Instagram. So our Instagram is um, at sage, S-A-J-E underscore South LA. Um, and then we have our website, www.saje.net. And we have a blog post, you know, we have, but that's where we put our research and stuff like that. Um, and in terms of, yeah, like good luck with the graduation and best wishes on your next journey. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope that you enjoyed this episode of Urban Planning is Not Boring. If you did, please remember to send us to your friends and follow us uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, guys, urban planning is not boring. No, it is not. <laughs>